Well, family, today we are concluding our four-part series in the book of Philippians. It was a short and a simple study. And as we conclude today, chapter 4, I love it so much because it's a very, very simplistic chapter. The words in the original Greek are very like, if it says, be gracious, it translates in the Hebrew or the Greek to gracious, <laughs> not this long definition. The words are so quite literal, and there's some powerful encouragement that God is going to give us today. Many of us have spoken this morning about uh, fear and some anxiety and some uncertainty of the future. And today, the title is Anxious for Nothing. Anxious for Nothing. And I want to dive deep into the topics of fear, anxiety, and even depression this morning as we learn some powerful tools that Paul is going to give us in chapter 4. So we prayed a lot, but pray with me one last time as we ask God for a blessing on the preaching of the word. So God, we, we pray now that you go before us. We thank you for the encouragement we're going to receive today. But God, it's not my words, a preacher that has studied, a preacher that has prayed and heard from you. But Father, I pray that you would release Holy Spirit into every heart here this morning to receive an understanding, a revelation that comes directly from you individually to them, to their heart, and to their, their situation here this morning. So go before us now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In 2009, a pastor named Louis Giglio, he's out in the Atlanta area, best-selling author, he has a mega church and so forth. He released a movie, it was kind of documentary, but more so a movie called How Great Is Our God? It was about the planets and how big God is. Has anybody seen this? Couple seen it? Well, once we get our new uh, projector, we have to do a movie night and watch this. It's, it will blow your faith up. It's incredible. What he did is he showed the vastness of the universe and how incredibly massive some of these planets, the sun, and the stars really are in comparison to the earth. And in fact, he used a great analogy. He took a golf ball and he said, we're going to compare these stars as if it were the scale of earth being the size of a golf ball. So he said, and I'll give you a teaser. He said, uh, if earth were the size of a golf ball, the sun would be 15 feet wide, and you could fit 3.5 million Earths inside of the sun. And then when you look at the next star, the sun looks like a dot compared to the next star, and then the next star, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so he's demonstrating how we think that our world matters most, and yet we're the tiniest little dot in this complete universe, and just showing that God holds the universe between his thumb and his pinky in the palm of his hand, how big God really is. But one day, uh, Pastor Louis was speaking and sharing this, you know, slideshow movie type of deal and doing it live in, in front of a big arena, and a molecular biologist came down and said, hey, that's all great stuff, but what's your left hook? What's your closer? What's your big revelation at the end? He goes, I don't know. I don't have a closer. He goes, oh, laminin. Laminin is your big closer. And he goes, I don't even know how to spell laminin. And so this biologist takes out his card and he writes down L-A-M-I-N-I-N. He's all, go home and Google this. So Pastor Louis goes home and he types in Google and, and he sees all these thumbnail images from Google laminin and he completely has his mind blown. I have a slide actually for you. If you want to put up the picture here of an actual laminin cell, you'll see it's in the perfect shape of a cross. Now, on a, on a cellular level, what this is, is the glue that holds everything together in the human body. 
Now, Colossians 1.17 says, in Jesus, he holds all things together. So Pastor Louis was showing how big and infinite God really is. I mean, just look at his creation. Just look at how big these stars are. But all the way down to a single human being, down to the cellular level, in the perfect shape of a cross, he truly holds all things together. We serve a mighty God. We serve a big God. We serve a God who is faithful. We serve a God where nothing is impossible for him. And today, as we conclude our selfie series, I really want to just drive that point home, that we are going to face all kinds of things in this world, but Paul in a Roman prison can write four chapters on a book that talks about rejoicing and the joy and the confidence that we have in the Lord our God. Today, again, anxious for nothing. And we're going to see two big phrases in chapter four. We're going to see Paul get this incredibly challenging statement, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication. We're going to see that. And then at the end of chapter four, we, say, we see that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What a contrast, huh? We have be anxious for nothing. So we deal with fears and with anxiety and some with depression, but we can do all things in Christ who gives us strength. Now, this book written over 2,000 years ago, isn't it amazing that today, human beings, children of God, are still dealing with the same contrast? And so today, we're going to dive into that and see what Paul has to say. And, and the reason I share Louis Giglio and, and this incredible documentary is not just to encourage us on how big our God really is, but in fact, that pastor, he released that movie in 2009. But only a few years later, around 2017, he fell into one of the most crippling depressions that anybody has ever seen. Now, this kind of rocked my world. You know, here's a pastor who's done it all, written best-selling books, has multiple megachurches, is invited to every conference where he's a pastor to other pastors. He got the research to really display visually how big God is. I mean, convinced of the faithfulness of God, yet he fell into depression. And we're seeing this more and more in the church. Even one of the biggest names in Christian music today, Brian Johnson of Bethel Music, and they put out some incredible things, pack out arenas all across the country. And for seven months, he was just debilitated by depression and panic disorder. It got so bad at one point, he could look out the window, and if the landscapers cut his grass the wrong way, it would launch him into a full-blown panic attack. That's how small and petty it was. I'm like, you worship God for a living. You write songs from your soul, and yet you can fall into this. And, and the reason is that even though you're a believer, you still will face things. And even though you're a believer, you can open your mind and your heart to the influence of the enemy and allow yourself to meditate on, on a, a lie, basically. And see, the devil has been defeated. He has no power. All of his authority has been taken. It's a done deal. The only place that the enemy has access to the Christian is their mind. Because though he can't harm us, hurt us, or destroy us, he can distract us and he can speak to us. So therefore, we battle with these lies. And it's no wonder that we're seeing, even within the church, people battling with crippling fear and anxiety and beyond. I did some research and I, I found out that uh, $3 billion a year are devoted to the pharmaceutical companies for medicine dealing with anxiety and with depression. I went back to double check that, that statistic and found out I was wrong. It wasn't three, it was 300 billion a year. 
we talk about pandemics, you know. Here, here are believers who praise the Lord and, and read their Bible every day and, and pray, but at the end of the night, their head hits the pillow. They're still battling uncertainty. They're still battling all these different types of fears that, that they go through. And I really see people who are walking in this, and even if you're a perfectly happy person, you probably know somebody who's dealing with fear. So this message is for you, or this message is what God wants to give to somebody else through you. But I see a progression. I see that it begins with fear. And fear is a respect towards something. That's why we can fear God. We, we can tremble before something more powerful than us. We can fear God. But fear can also be the emotional aspect of it in which we feel we're incapable, uh, we, we're not worthy enough, and we make something bigger than it really should be or bigger than us. And as uh, Michael mentioned earlier in, in that scripture in 1 John, it says that perfect love casts out fear, meaning it's more than an emotion. It's also a spirit. You don't cast out emotions. You don't cast out you know, feelings. You cast out spirits that are tormenting you and, and messing with you. So fear, we, we get fear. We all deal with fear on some level. We all wrestle with this. But if we don't attack fear with perfect love and with faith, it can easily turn into anxiety. And anxiety in, in the simplest sense is uh, being terrorized by feelings of uncertainty. And in the scriptures, we see uh, the Greek word in chapter four for anxious is troubled by many worries. You got too many things swirling in your mind. You're up at two o'clock in the morning and you can't go back to sleep, not because you're not tired, but because you're worried. And it's constantly mulling over those things. And anxiety left unchecked can turn into depression. And depression in the simplest definition is you have lost hope. You became afraid of something. Now you're worried over so many things and you have this uncertainty and you've left it unchecked and now it moves into an area where you just lost hope. So it's kind of like with money. Let's say you're, you don't have enough to pay the bills for this month. Fear sets in. Oof, what am I going to do? I have this fear. But then if left unchecked, it can turn into anxiety and saying, well, if I don't pay my bills, then what is this gonna, what's going to happen? What's the snowball effect? And now this is going to go wrong and that's going to go wrong. Now you're troubling yourself with worries. And then if you leave it that way, eventually you'll get to a place where I'm never going to have enough money. I'm always going to be struggling. I'm always going to be in poverty. So why try? You've lost hope. And hope is so powerful in the spirit. Hope is not a wish. I know we use that all the time. Well, I hope so. I hope my Titans win today. I hope this. I hope that. It's not a wish. The biblical definition of hope is a confident expectation of good. You are convinced of God's truth. You are convinced of his goodness. So I'm hoping in the Lord, meaning I'm expecting something good that's coming my way. And so when you have no hope, you're done. And that's why faith is so powerful, because faith in the biblical definition is a conviction of truth. You have been so convinced by the word of God. You have been so confident in the word that he has given to you that when fear rears its ugly little head, you have the confidence not to be shaken. And you can speak truth in faith and declare hope to that fear and watch it go in the name of Jesus. But that's all on our end. God is a loving God who is faithful and powerful and has everything that we will ever need. But because he's given us free will, because we have the right to choose, we can turn and focus on the fear and anxiety and the worries and the circumstances, or we can look to him and say, you are where my help comes from. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to Philippians chapter 4. 
As we wrap up our series today, we're going to read from verse 4 to verse 14. And I'll read a little bit, speak a little bit, read a little bit, and then we'll dive into what I feel we get in the encouragement that we can glean from this chapter. Chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Remember that old song? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, again, I say. Got like a jazz quartet in the back. I love that old song. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. And here's the challenge. Oh, my Lord. Verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And I love that. He's, he's not shaking his finger at us and saying, stop being anxious. He's all, don't worry about anything. Don't put your energy towards worrying. Put your energy towards supplication, which means, God, I need. I'm without, and I need you to bless me with. And then with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is twofold in the sense, thank you that you heard me. Thank you that I know you will answer, but also thank you for everything that you've already given to me. So not to worry, not to be anxious, but to turn your attention again to God. And verse 7, and the peace of God, which is both a gift and supernatural, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. And see, beyond comprehension, there's some things about God our minds cannot wrap around. And that's why as a Pentecostal church, we believe in the power of speaking in tongues, because sometimes our spirit needs to pray in a way that our mind can't understand. Sometimes we have to allow uh, the, what God wants to do to bypass our brain and be directly deposited into our spirit. And verse uh, 8, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if anything is excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. That's a powerful word that we'll see in a second here. I had a pastor friend of mine I had lunch with in Houston, and his church name is called The Dwelling. I said, that is such a cool name for a church, The Dwelling. He didn't like it all that much. I thought it was super cool. But dwell on these things. Focus. Put all your mental energy into thinking about what only comes from above in heavenly things. Verse 9. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Hey, we're, we're on this side of eternity. We don't have it all figured out. We have the trust and the love of the Holy Spirit, but I love how Paul tells us here, practice these things. Practice prophesying. Practice in, in the study of Scripture. Practice prayer. Practice Christian disciplines. But ultimately, every spiritual discipline should lead us into the presence of God. If all you're doing is studying the Word of God just to get more knowledge, you're wasting your time. You need to study the Word of God to have an encounter with Him that your soul would be strengthened so you can carry out His will and be more intimate with Him. Verse 10, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have received your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before but lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. Give yourself some grace. If you fail, if you stumble, it's all right. You are hidden in Christ. Paul said, I had to learn. Paul says, I didn't always have it right. Paul said, I had to learn for myself how to not complain, how not to be anxious, how not to just stress out, but to be content no matter what. 
Verse 12, I know how to get along with humble means and also how to live in prosperity and in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I just think that there's this bridge that we go from being anxious to being fully convinced that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we're human. We battle the flesh. We war in our mind between lies and and on truth. We get it. So here's some encouragement that'll help us, whether you're dealing with anxiety and stress, whether you're wrestling with fear, or you want to help somebody else in their journey. Here's some encouragement. If you're taking notes, number one, treat it spiritually. Right? One thing I love that my wife does all the time and blesses me is if I share something or make a decision, she'll always ask me, did you pray about it first? If I tell her, I feel like the Lord has said, sold. Even if that means we live in an RV and we're going to move across the country to Texas, but I feel the Lord. She's like, okay, when do we pack? She has that confidence. And, and if she senses I make a decision that I didn't first bathe in prayer, she's a little, hold on, let's explore this a little bit more. So when it comes to our fears and anxiety, spiritually first, put your face on the ground and go before God first. We need to store up. We we need to have this heart being a fertile place for his word to land. Now, I know that there's many great uh, gardeners in our our church, uh, many who can have this beautiful backyard garden and vegetables and plants. I am horrible at it. The only thing I can keep alive is basil. That's it. <laughs> that one little herb, it's hardy and it always lives. Everything else gets eaten by bugs or it dies on me. It just, I'm, I'm horrible at it. But praise God, I live in America. So if I am trying to grow bell peppers and it fails, I can just go down to Cox Market and go pick up some wonderful bell peppers. But not everybody has that option. And one of my favorite shows is called Life Below Zero. And it's a bunch of families in Alaska that want to live on their own land, kind of uh, off the grid, so to say. And there's one family that lives on on the Yukon River, and they have this huge greenhouse, but they only have two months in the year to grow everything and can everything, and that's what they will have for the rest of the winter. Not just caribou meat, but they want some greens and some tomatoes and some other things to go along with that. So if their crop fails, they don't eat. They're stuck with meat and rice the rest of the winter, and it's a very long winter. And that just made me think more and more, you know, of what it says in Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus gives the parable of the sower. And at the end of the parable, in a very rare moment, Jesus gives the explanation of the parable. He says, the seed is the word of God, and the soil is your heart. Now, here's the reality. If there's something growing out of your heart, I know what you planted. Whatever grows in your garden is what you planted. If there were seeds sown of fear and anxiety, that's what's going to manifest. If there's seeds of joy and peace and confidence and strength, that is what's going to manifest. And so it's so incredibly important for us to dwell on the things of the Lord, to keep our minds set and focused on him at all times. And in chapter 4, verse 8, it says, dwell on these things. That's a very cool Greek word called logozama. And the root word of dwell, that logosama, is logos, the word of God. Dwell on this. Richly dwell on what God is telling you on the word of God. It's a discipline. It's a habit that we have to do. And personally, in my life, when I find myself uh, fearful or in a place of I've lost hope and in a depressive state, 
I look back at my, my week and I see very clearly how I have lacked in my spiritual disciplines, how I've neglected the word of God, how I just let my mind snowball and wander on its own and let myself believe lies. And it's so simple, but yet so powerful. Even Mary in Luke chapter 2, verse 19, she's told by the angel, you, probably a 15-year-old, will, will conceive the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Talk about pressure. Can you imagine if the Father entrusted into your care the Savior of the world? Like, oh, we, we would all be doomed if that little baby Messiah was born in my household, I'll tell you that much. So that's a lot of pressure. And she didn't put up excuses, much like Moses did in, in Exodus. He didn't say, well, I stutter and I'm unworthy and you should probably pick somebody else, God. He wrestled with his own insecurity. But Mary, at a young age, it says that she pondered and treasured these things in her heart. She heard the word of the Lord and she became sensitive to it. And then she treasured it. Is the word of God sweet to you? Is it an absolute delight? to you? Is it a chore? Is it something you have to work at? But it's, again, things that we can practice to make us become stronger in, because we want to constantly dwell on the things of the Lord and keep our thoughts above in heavenly places. All worry does is, is put your faith in the negative. Worry is worshiping the negative. It's like a rocking chair where you're always moving, but you ain't going nowhere. You're just stressing out and building anxiety in your heart. We would rather dwell on the things of God, doing over and over the meditation of the word of God, and the result is transformation. You know, I'm, I'm about 20% Hebrew, uh, Jewish, like Jesus could have been my great, great, great cousin. You know, it's, it's in my actual DNA. That's why this beard is so luscious, right? <laughs> I got the Jewishness in me. And I love studying Jewish things. And I had a friend in San, San Diego, a Messianic Jew. His name was Israel. And he showed me that in, in times of prayer, Jewish men would oftentimes rock. You'll, you'll see many times, you know, on your forehead, on, on your wrist, you know, meditate on the word of God. And they rock in this sense. I'm like, we can worry all day long or we can worship all day long. And we can meditate on the word of God. Meditate means to go over and over and over like a baby that coos. It's got to become sweet. I, I heard some uh, traditions say that Babies born in, in Jewish homes, they would recite the word of God over them. And in fact, they would put a little dab of honey on the tongue of the baby so that they would correlate the, the study of scripture to sweetness and joy. It's got to be something on a heart level that we cherish, that we absolutely love. And I want to encourage you, preacher fingers coming out here, okay? It's going to be a challenge. We have to treasure the word of God and we have to be careful with laughter in the negative. What do I mean by that? If you're dealing with fear, if you're dealing with anxiety, do not make a joke about it. I have so many friends, you know, they say, well, I wanted to go on that trip, but my anxiety reared its ugly head again, you know, or I wanted a good night of sleep, but my depression, you know, and they make light of it. They make jokes of it. And I know it's, it's, it's innocent in a sense, but laughter sometimes is the quickest way that the enemy can have access to your heart. Because when you joke about it, you come into a subtle agreement with something. And it's very easy for you to dwell on these things. So take, take it seriously. Have joy in your life. But don't, don't play around with the sense of my anxiety, my depression, and, and you make fun of it. No, by the word of God and by what he's declared over my life, I have a peace that transcends all understanding. Dwell on these things. So treat it spiritually first. 
you're healthy spiritually, you're going to see manifestations of health in other places in your life as well. Number two, treat it physically. Treat it physically. In 1 Kings 19, uh, one, I love First and Second Samuel. I love First and Second Kings. Amazing stories in there. But Elijah had just completely demolished hundreds of false gods and prophets of, of Baal. And he called down fire from heaven. It was an amazing, amazing story. And then the next chapter, he gets a note from a wicked queen who says, I'm going to kill you. And did this powerful prophet of the Lord kill the evil queen? Did he rally up the troops? No, he went underneath the tree and said, just take me now, Lord. Isn't it enough? I've been so faithful, and yet here I am. I just want to die and be with you. He's just utterly depressed. And I love that the father didn't come down in a burning bush like he did with Moses and say, I have called you for such a time as this, and you are a mighty warrior like Gideon. And No, you know what he did? He said, take a nap and eat a snack. Right? Physically. Then Elijah woke up and God was like, how you feeling? He's like, take another nap, get another snack. And then he was able to then again continue to prophesy and so forth. Naps are biblical, family. They are of the Lord's will. <laughs> but it shows you the power of taking care of ourselves. Uh, um, 3 John verse 2, it says, I pray that you would prosper in health even as your soul prospers. In, in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus says it is the, the sick who need a doctor, not the healthy. He's not against doctors. He's not against medicine. He's not against you getting well. And we need to rest. We need to eat well. We need to get outside and breathe actual air and have the sun hit our faces and move our bodies. And we need to take time to do fun things in our lives. It's biblical. In fact, in one area, it's commanded. Ten Commandments, you shall keep the Sabbath holy and rest on the seventh day. You know what's so funny is that it's not nine commandments in one suggestion. They're all commandments. Now, if I, your pastor, were to go out and murder somebody, I would be immediately fired and immediately arrested. I broke a commandment, thou shalt not kill. But if I break the Sabbath and work my, myself to nothingness, a lot of Christians, believe it or not, will celebrate that. Look how hard my pastor works. Look how devoted they are. They're, every day of the week, they're working for the Lord, and they're working night and day in their ministry, and hard work and, and performance is often celebrated in the church. But when you sit your butt on the couch for seven hours and watch football and read the Word and study and, and take a nap and take your spouse out for, uh, for a date, we're like, wow, what did you accomplish today? Now, let me just stand before you in pure confession, church. Your pastor sabbats really well. <laughs> My Sabbath begins on Sunday with the glory of football. I wake up the next morning, and after I drop off my son, I get into the Word of God. I, I read a good book. I get a good cup of coffee. Nikki and I will go take a walk. We'll check out a fun restaurant somebody recommended. Yeah, I mean, we'll just go out thrift shopping or doing something that brings us joy. And I don't do any work. I'll take a couple emergency phone calls or a couple little things. Uh, we just take our time. And then at nighttime, I make a beautiful, creative dinner that I've been looking forward to and just enjoy life. And if I don't do that, if I don't get good sleep, oh, it's amazing how, how much of a baby I become. <laughs> but the simple things of taking care of your body can lead to so much breakthrough in your overall healing and the strength that you have in God. 
Romans 8 verse 1 says, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So whether it's the gospel or a pill, whether it's a therapist or whatever, have no condemnation. We want to be healthy. We obviously don't want to be on anything. Sometimes we need to see a therapist. Sometimes it's a chemical balance. But you know what? We are children of God that are looking to him. And we should not condemn other people for their own journey and what they're going through. There's so many well-meaning people that says, well, this anxiety is because of you, your lack of faith. And if you take medicine, then you are not having faith in God. No, 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 no. Have a plan. My wife battled panic disorder and depression in the sense where I had to hold her down, and she doesn't even remember it. And when we went on medication for her, we consulted the best Christian friends who are nurses and doctors, said, what do you recommend? 10 milligrams of this. Then I talked to the psychologist and my wife and I, and we had meetings and said, okay, so is this mean forever or can we have a plan? Oh no, you can have a plan. In three months, here. In six months, here. And by nine months, we can be completely without. And I don't know how my wife did it other than the grace and the power of God. When we were homeless, when we had lost our job, betrayed by a senior pastor, lived in an RV and came across the country with not a guarantee of a job, she weaned herself off her own medication. And she's walking in the strength and the power of God today. It's incredible. Two years ago, she would never be singing on stage in the worship team. Two years ago, she wouldn't be performing in the drama team. Two years ago, she wouldn't be going out to lunch with some of y'all and at the women's group because she was terrified and she was anxious and locked up and could only be in bed. So I, I say no condemnation, but I do challenge, have a plan. Spiritually first, physically, and whatever God leads you to do, have a plan, have a plan. Lastly, treat it socially. Treat it socially. And no, I don't mean like social drinking or parties and all that. And I know there's some introverts like, whoa, 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 whoa there, pastor. Okay, treat it spiritually, physically. I get that. Socially, uh, I don't know if I'm with you there. I don't mean tons of people. What I mean by socially is community. You can have one best friend and only have one good friend, but that's still community. In fact, the Bible itself Today, we're not celebrating Halloween. We're celebrating Reformation Day. When Martin Luther nailed those theses on that wall, and you know what he did? He started a Reformation. The printing press came out in the 1500s, and now it was no longer the, the priests and the pastors who told you what God says. You had your own copy and could discern for yourself the joy that we have in studying the Scripture. But at the same time, the Bible wasn't just meant for us to be in our prayer closets by ourselves and never be in community. In the Jewish days, this would be read on a scroll in the synagogue in front of everybody. And then you would take what you heard and would discuss it. In Deuteronomy 6, it says, when you lay down, when you stand up, when you sleep, when you walk, when you go about your ways, meditate on these things. Talk about these things. And it was read in community, and many Jewish people would have even the whole Torah memorized. So even though you couldn't read it, it was in your heart, but it was done in community. So much power comes in community. So don't try to fight something in your life, whatever it may be, by yourself. So many times in my life, I say I was so thankful that I opened my mouth. If I never asked this person to pray for me, if I never welcomed my mentor to walk this journey with me, I would have never found this revelation on my own. Even in my own family, so many things with my son, so many things with my wife, even the arguments that we get into, I have learned so much about the heart of God and the fatherhood of God through my own family. I mean, it's amazing what happens in community. And I encourage you, 
If you're going through something, walk through it with somebody. Somebody you love, somebody you trust, somebody that is godly, but walk through it together. There is power in community. You know, um, the old conqueror Napoleon, uh, there's so many stories about him and what he could do with his army. Uh, One being that when they arrived on the coast and they were about to conquer something, they would burn their ships to ensure that nobody could retreat. There's this one story where Napoleon comes up to the wall of a city and looks to the king of that city and says, surrender now. And the king says, why should I surrender to you? Napoleon points to a cliff and one by one, his soldiers start marching off the cliff. The king surrendered right then and there. Could you imagine being that last guy after he said enough? You know, he's like, oof. (laughs) They were that devoted to him that it struck fear in the king and he went down. But there was one time that Napoleon and his army actually lost, and it was because of a church. So what happened, they burned their ships, they were on the shore, they went up to the city, but it was the same time when they were supposed to have their church services. So the king and, and the, the pastors around, they said, what should we do? Should we cancel everything, rally our troops, and try to fight off this huge army? And the pastors, they all agreed, no, we will worship the Lord. So they sounded the bells. Why was there bells in churches? Because they didn't have cell phones back then. So they would ring. And, and one of my campuses back in California, it was a 100-year-old church that had a bell tower. And 15 minutes before service, we still rang the bells. That means the neighborhood hears, oh, the bells are ringing. Let's grab our Bibles and let's go to church. But the army of Napoleon didn't know that was a biblical thing. There was a church-wide thing. He said, they're sounding the alarms. Everybody in the city is coming. And they actually retreated. How much more? when the church of Jesus can come together in unity and in community and to not bow down to the tactics of the enemy. But as we are one, we can see fear being demolished, anxiety gone, and depression being an afterthought. Can you imagine that if the church of Jesus really fully understands their identity, we really have a revival of love. And we're celebrating Reformation Day. 1500s, there was a revival of Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus Christ, the word of God. In the 1900s, there was a revival, a Pentecostal revival, Azusa Street, the Welsh revival, Amy Simple McPherson, a revival of the Holy Spirit. So if there was a revival of the word of God, Jesus, if there was a revival of the Holy Spirit, what's next, in my opinion? The Father. I believe that there is going to be a wave of revival that sweeps our nation where people for the first time stop becoming spiritual orphans and awaken their eyes to the love of the Father, where they used to perform for, who they used to be afraid of, who they used to think was a dictator, but now are seen as a loving Father. And when the Father's love reaches an ex-orphan's heart, there is a power in identity and authority, and we can really see some things change in our community, in our world. And I think that because of this pandemic, because of craziness in our government, because of all the shortages and calamity that for the first time, I believe, we're going to see people on their faces in desperation. The ones who used to pray, praying again. The ones who used to study God's word back in his word. The ones who ran away from Jesus now seeing that he is their only hope. It can happen in the generation family. I believe one revival can turn everything around, but the enemy can keep us shackled in fear and anxiety. And God at at sovereign times may come and bring you supernatural waves of peace and joy. But it's up to us, his children, to take accountability and, and to take responsibility spiritually, physically, socially. Let's be well. Let's be alive. Let's be unified and see all that God can do.
Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your incredible love. God, thank you for realness in your church, that we're not afraid to say we've been afraid, to not be afraid to say we're dealing with something, but more importantly, to look to you as our guide, to take care of our bodies in the way you have designed, and to look to each other, our brothers and our sisters, to help carry us in this journey. Thank you, God, for what the book of Philippians has meant to us in the last couple weeks. And now as we conclude this time, we pray that the revelations that were given to every person, whether that came from my mouth or that came from your heart to theirs, let it be watered, let it grow, let it be more manifested. Bless them, God, with this peace that we trust you for that transcends all understanding and help us this week to draw closer to you. Thank you for the hope that we have in you. Thank you that we can have faith in the one who has always been faithful. As we leave here today, God, may we leave in your love and your joy overflowing. And we give you it thanksgiving and gratitude now in advance for the testimonies that we will see this week. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you, family. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.